right directly out in front of where I was sitting, there was a lot of brush. And all of a sudden that brush started moving. And then I heard a noise that I'd never heard before. So I'm looking at the spot and all of a sudden a head pops up out of the brush. And he looked around, he made the noise again and then walked away. And he walked through it like it was nothing. And I'm sitting there dumbfounded saying, holy cow, I can't believe what I just saw. This is the Crypto Creatures Podcast. I am Ryan, and with me as always is my co-host Todd. What's going on, buddy? What's happening, man? How you doing today? Oh, man, it's beautiful just sitting here waiting for this damn snowstorm. We are supposed to get some snow. A lot of it. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Yeah, I don't think it will either. I bank on about half of what they say, always, up here in northern yeah. Indiana. Mm-hmm, because they can't predict anything up here. Damn Great Lakes ruin everything. But you know, the cool thing about snow, Brian, okay. is that uh, it's no. easier to see Sasquatch footprints in it. Ah, yeah. So no. if you got, you know, a Squatch roaming in your area, and there's snow, there you now go. It's time to get out there and check it out. Take a look. You guys see some prints in the snow that look bigger than normal? Check them out. You never know. They could be or barefoot in the snow. Right. Oh, like that'd be a person. Exactly. Speaking of footprints and Bigfoot, uh, our guest coming on today has some stories about that, and I think a couple encounters as well. Uh, we're going to bring Dean on from the Seaway Valley Bigfoot group. I'm excited to hear more about that. Hear what he's got to say and... and check out his encounter and see what happened to him all right well let's bring him on man let's not waste any more time yeah man let's get him okay dean how's it going man pretty good how are you good welcome to the show thanks for coming on oh no problem at all yeah it's good having you thank you Dean, we got a hold of you. Um, we were talking about people who had had encounters, and you had mentioned that you'd had several, I believe. Before we get going too deep into your encounters, uh, you also head up Seaway Valley Bigfoot Research. Is that right? That's correct, yes. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we're in the Seaway uh, Valley uh, region of uh, New- northern New York, we're right on the Canadian border. Uh, it's called the Seaway because of the St. Lawrence River that uh, runs right through our area, which is a, a shipping line or shipping route uh, from the Great Lakes all the way to the ocean. Uh, big steamers go by carrying variety of goods and, and uh, you know, grain and ore and whatever else you could possibly think of. So that's why the region is called the Seaway. Uh, it's very, very rural country. Um, a lot of people, when they hear New York, they think the cities and all that stuff, but there's an awful, awful lot of uh, woods and uh, uh, untamed land in New York State, especially in the northern part. We're just north of the Adirondack Mountains, right next to uh, Fort Drum, which a lot of people have heard of. It's the home of the 10th Mountain Division, uh, which is one of the most deployed divisions in the U.S. Army, and they use this place for their winter training grounds. We get the severe winters up here a lot of years. So about 15 years ago, I was asked by several people if I would be interested in uh, starting a Bigfoot research group in this area. Sightings had increased up here quite a bit. And um, they knew that I knew quite a bit about Bigfoot. 
So um, they asked me to do it. And at that point, I'd already had um, a couple of sightings and some other uh, encounters. Uh, so I, uh, I volunteered to do it. We're mostly an online group. I have a few people that go out with me, but it's mostly just myself. But I do have a couple of other people that will go if I need them to. We've also established a couple of people in different areas that if a sighting comes up there and I'm not available, I can call them and they can go follow up. We get probably one or two reports a month from different people saying that they had an encounter or they found tracks or they had an actual sighting. So uh, we try to follow up on them as much as we can. We try to weed out the ones that uh, either were a mistaken identity or, or were just out and out wishful thinking. Or I don't think I've ever had anybody actually lie to me, but I think I've had a few people that were probably hoping that's what they saw and, and they, they didn't. You know, so you kind of have to, to get to uh, the point where you can distinguish between the two, or, you know, what's going on with that. What was it, uh, I guess, uh, your encounter, obviously, that made you start the Seaway Valley Project? Um, you want to talk about the, your first encounter, what happened, what you're doing, and, and uh, tell us about well, that. Well, my first actual indication that there were uh, Sasquatches in this area happened when I was in high school. Uh, my grandfather and I used to uh, do a lot of hunting and trapping and fishing together. My grandfather was a great outdoorsman. I, I've never, I learned so much from him when, when he was around. Anyways, we were running a trap line on a creek, and uh, there was one section of the creek he never wanted to go down into for some reason. And uh, I questioned him about it a couple times, but he never really gave me a straight answer. So to this day, I, I'm thinking that maybe he had an encounter of his own down in there. That's why he didn't want to go. After he retired from doing the trap line with me, <clears throat> I saw no reason to not put traps in that, that particular spot. And uh, the first year that I had actually done it, I went down in there one day and I saw that I had something in one of the traps that was still alive, which was uh, unusual because we used the uh, humane instant kill traps when we were trapping muskrats. But there was something definitely alive in this trap. So I went down to see what it was and I had hooked up big snapping turtle by the back flipper and i don't know if you guys know anything about snapping turtles or not but they're one of the most vicious animals that sure. lives i mean they'll take a chunk out of you in split second mm -hmm. so i'm thinking how am i going to get this turtle out of this trap without losing a finger so finally i figured well i'll put a boat oar between me and its head and i'll reach around behind it and try to get the trap off so that worked. I got the trap off and the turtle gave me the little turtle finger and went off into the creek. <laughs> and uh, so I went to reset the trap and I looked over and coming from the shore over to where the trap was, was a set of tracks. I mean, they were huge. And once the, um, the mud cleared out of the water a little bit, I could see that they were human looking footprints. You could see the toes, everything. I'm thinking, holy cow, that, those look like Bigfoot tracks. The tracks only came out to the trap, and then they kind of veered off and then went out into the creek. So the, the creature swam across the creek after it left the trap. So after I reset the trap, I took my boat to the other side and went slowly along the edge of the creek on the other side of the creek, and I found where it came up. There was some dra very large... Dra body drag marks going up into the into the swamp and then there was some tracks going up into the hardwood well i never told anybody about that for years and years and years i never told anybody what i saw 
for the typical reasons. You, you don't want to be thought of being, you know, crazy or making a story up or whatever. And that was the first time that I, I had any indication that we had squatches in our area. So years later, I was going to go black powder hunting or muzzleloading, some people call it. And uh, my brother has land that he uh, has beef cows on. And he moves them during the hunting season to a different pasture so they won't be in the woods, so they won't accidentally get shot or, or you know, plus he hunts too, so he wants to be in there. So I stopped at his house to ask him if he moved the cows. And he had said, yeah, it was fine to go back there. He said, you might get a treat while you're back there today. And I said, oh, really, what's up? And he said, well, there was a big cow moose out in the field a couple of days ago. And we're just north enough of the Adirondack Mountains that seeing the moose is, is a rare thing. The moose usually don't come up our way that much. So I thought, well, that would be kind of cool to see a moose. So I went back, found a spot to set. I sat there most of the day, didn't see anything. And just about dusk, uh, my stepfather went to feed the cows. And he has an old beat-up pickup truck he hauls the food with. And when he starts it up, you can hear it for 20 miles. I don't think the thing's ever had a muffler on it. When he started that up, all the cows that were over in the other pasture all started mooing and bellering and, and taking on because they knew they were going to get fed. Well, right directly out in front of where I was sitting, there was a lot of brush. It was a little clearing and then a lot of brush. And all of a sudden, that brush started moving. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, something's big over there. Maybe it's the moose. And then I heard a noise that I'd never heard before. And I had never been around a live moose, so I didn't know what kind of noise they made. So all this time, I'm thinking moose. But it was like a, a grunty, frustrated kind of sound, like if a big barrel-chested man was upset about something and went, oh, you know, but it was like 50 times louder than that. So I'm looking at the spot, and all of a sudden, a head pops up out of the, out of the brush. And it was a squatch. And he looked around, he made the noise again, and then walked away. I mean, and that brush is not easy to walk through. And he walked through it like it was nothing. And I'm sitting there dumbfounded saying, holy cow, I can't believe what I just saw. And that was the first time that I saw one. After that, I started hearing things. I started hearing tree knocking. I once in a while would hear a whoop uh, in the area back there. But that was the first time that I saw one. How far away from you were you from the creature, do you think? And did you get a good look at its face detail? Could you explain? Oh, yeah, it? I did. I was probably maybe guessing here. It was less than 100 yards, probably about 60, 70 yards away, maybe. I could see, you know, the outline of his face. I mean, you couldn't see, like, small, small details. But you could see you could see the face pretty good. You could see the eyes and the you know, and, and the, the nose and the mouth and everything, which were mostly not covered with hair. The hair kind of went around it, around his face, big bushy eyebrows. And uh, I, I brought one hand up to push some of the brush out of the way. And it didn't appear that there was much hair on the hand. But the rest of it was covered in a brownish black, you know, fairly thick fur or hair, I guess would be more the the way to say it. But I, I did get a very good look at it. Do you know how tall... Uh, you have an idea of the height of this thing, or was it kind of... I, I'm guessing it was probably every bit of seven foot, maybe a little bit taller, because I know how tall that brush was. If I walked into the brush, the brush was a good two feet above my head, and I'm about 5'10 on a good day. <laughs> mm. 
So, you know, it, it was probably every bit of seven foot. So you're obviously disturbing this creature or uh, getting into Well, what I'm thinking uh, is that it was doing the same thing I was doing. It was hunting. It probably didn't know I was there. Uh, I was setting back up where you really couldn't see me. And I was in, there's a cliff that runs down through the valley there. And I was setting up under the shadow of that cliff and I was in camo and I don't move around a lot when I'm, when I'm setting and looking for deer. So I'm, I'm under the impression that it must've came in from the other direction and found a spot itself to hide in that brush. And it was pretty much hunting the same area I was hunting. And I think what disturbed it was, was the cows making all the noise. Mm -hmm. Cause it was right after that is when I, when it made the noise it was right after the cows all started. I'm thinking that it was like, Oh man, I'm not going to be able to sit here and hunt anymore. I got to move. And that's what I'm, I mean, I can't speak for what the Bigfoot was thinking, but I can, I can surmise what maybe, you know, was going through its mind. It was saying right. damn humans probably got to move yeah. again. Those stupid little foot are making too much noise right. back here. So what did you do after that? What were you standing there in shock basically, or? Yeah, pretty much for a little while. The next day, I used to play in a pool league, and I got talking to a couple of my, my friends that were also hunters, and I, I didn't come right out and tell them at first what happened, but I kind of you know alluded to there was a big animal back there, and, and I wasn't sure what it was, kind of feeling them out to see what they would say. And my cousin, who was among the group, said, oh, you saw a Bigfoot, didn't you? And I didn't, hadn't even said anything about a Bigfoot. And I looked at him, and I go, um yeah i'm pretty sure i did and he laughed and he said you're not the only one and he wouldn't elaborate on it but that's what he said he goes you're not the only one wow and his land bucks up against the backside of my brother's place so i'm and he's a he's an avid hunter too so i'm thinking he might have glimpsed one back on his land but i've, I've tried several times to get him to talk about it and he won't so how long did you do you think you got eyes on this thing? Just a few seconds, probably. I'm guessing. Yeah, it wasn't very long. It wasn't very long, but that you know that was the first time I saw one. The second time, it was the same time of year, but several years later, and it was during black powder season, and uh, I was uh, setting evening watch, and a buck came out in the field, and I shot at it, but I wasn't sure if I hit it or not. It took off. I uh, I always want to make sure I missed them, or if I did hit them, I track them down. So I, I'm not one of those hunters that just shoots and walks away. So anyways, I went over to the spot where the buck was standing. I looked around. I couldn't find any blood, but that doesn't always mean anything because sometimes they won't bleed right away. So I followed the deer into the brush where it had gone, and I probably spent close to an hour looking, trying to find a blood trail. I followed it as far as I could find tracks. Never did find any blood, never did see the deer again. So I thought, well, sometimes they'll circle back. So he might come around and go back out into the field if he's hurt. So I um, kind of did the same thing. I took a long route back to the field. And uh, there's a spot back there where it's uh, a great big, huge, flat rock. I mean, it's big. And it's mostly covered with moss and a little bit of grass. So I'm wearing rubber boots walking across that. So I'm not making hardly any noise. And plus I'm taking care not to make noise. So I got back to the hardwood and I stepped into the hardwood and I took probably about five or six steps and I saw something out of the corner of my eye. And at first my brain said a stump, you know, so I kept walking and all of a sudden I thought to myself, I don't remember there being a stump over there. 
So I turned and looked, and what I thought I was looking at was another hunter in a ghillie suit sitting on the ground. And we'd had problems with people sneaking in there and hunting. It's private land. I own half of it. My brother-in-law owns the other half. And we tried just to have family in there hunting. We don't open it up to anybody. It's posted. And, you know, we try just to keep it in the family. So I knew it wasn't any of my nephews or my brother because my brother would usually hunt on his own land during that time of the year. My nephews were uh, all too young to be back there. So I'm thinking, well, if somebody snuck in here. So I kind of walked at an angle getting closer to it without looking like I was getting close, doing it on purpose. I was trying, I was looking the other way, looking up in the air, looking everywhere, but at it. So finally, when I got probably about 40 yards away, I stopped and I turned around and I looked at what I thought was another hunter and I yelled at him and I said, Hey buddy, what's up? Well, then it stood up and my heart went down into my, uh, lower regions of my body it, it was not a person it was i believe a juvenile squatch it wasn't very tall it was probably maybe four foot tall maybe so it must have been a young one and he stood there for a few seconds just looking at me and i mean and i saw him close i mean i was like i said 40 yards from her and i could see his facial features i could see his eyes blinking and he just looked at me he didn't act like he was scared and he just casually turned around and walked away from me. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. I just said, hey, what's up, buddy, to a squatch. <laughs> and he just walked away and was gone. Man. Well, I've had quite a few encounters with that guy since then. Um, I think he's kind of interested in what I'm doing back there. I, I've seen him one other time out in the open. And I had uh, two of my researchers with me when we, when we saw him. So I had two witnesses there with me. But I caught glimpses of something brown, you know, darting away. I was back there cutting wood the fall after this. Several times, like I said, I thought I saw brown move. And I knew it wasn't a deer because the deer aren't going to come around when you're running a chainsaw. You know, they're going to stay away from you. So I think he was curious of what I was doing. So I shut the chainsaw off, started loading the wood into the truck. Well, just out of my sight on the back side of the clearing, a tree came down. I think he pushed it over. I think he thought he was helping me. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had seen me cut down Maybe, several trees. Yeah. And I think he thought, oh, I'll just push this tree over for the little foot. And Because, I mean, that tree would have just randomly fell like that while, mm -hmm. while I was there, you know. Right. He's probably like, here, you don't need to use that chainsaw. I'll just knock him over for you. Just shut that thing off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I should mention, in between this time, I had started gifting them in that general area. I started leaving things out for them, mostly food. I'd leave them cookies. I got a friend that works for a grocery store, and a lot of times they'll get stuff that they got to throw out, but there's really nothing wrong with it. When he gets stuff like that, and he knows I do this, he'll say, hey, I got a case of... Uh, generic oreos do you want them or uh, something like that so i'll take those back and i'll leave them and um they take them i can always tell if they took them or another animal got into them because if they take them they take the package and everything it's gone mm -hmm. 
But if something else gets into them, like a raccoon or whatever, they eat them right there. And of course, they leave a mess. They don't they don't pick up behind themselves and leave the wrappers there. Mm -hmm. So I can tell I can tell the difference who took it. The day that we saw that when I had the other two people with me was a day I was gifting. I went back there and I I put the stuff out where I normally do. And my my research guy that was with me says, uh, oh, gee, I feel bad. I didn't bring anything for him. And he goes, hold on a minute. And he had a cooler in the back of his truck, and he went over, and he brought out a 40-ounce Bud Light. And he set, it up, he set it there with the cookies. And I laughed. I thought, okay, I don't know what they're going to make of that. But uh, I said, well, the thought's there. You know, and we just kind of laughed about it. Mm-hmm. So we uh, went and did some walking around some other parts of the property. And uh, there was a young lady that was with us, one of my research people. And she wasn't feeling well, so she decided to stay in the truck when we stopped at the last spot. We are probably 200 yards away from where we left the stuff out. There was a big open hay field between us and where the gifting area is. And uh, when we came back from walking around the area where uh, we wanted to go, we came back to the truck. She was outside the truck staring back towards the corner of the field. And she said to me, there's something just came out of the brush. She goes, but then it ducked down into the long grass. So I got my binoculars out of the truck, and sure enough, it was him. He had I'd come out of the brush, and he had ducked down into the long grass, and he was watching us. And every once in a while, you could see the top of his head pop up out of the grass looking at us. And uh, we watched him for probably 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wanted to try to get closer. And I said, no, I don't want to disturb him. I mean, he's showing us a lot of trust right now. And I, I don't want to break that trust with him because if I break the trust with him, I might, might not ever see him again. But if I keep that trust with him, maybe he'll let me see him more and more. So we didn't try to, you know, like I said, get any closer to him. Uh, we did take some pictures of him from far away. I think I sent them to you. They they were near a little hut, which is a deer blind. And he was between the deer blind and the woods. It's your typical Bigfoot blurry picture. Right. Like I said, we were we were... 200 yards away and all i had for a camera was my phone how tall was this this creature obviously you said he was a juvenile his height was probably what made you think that i'm guessing yeah yeah he was i i'm guessing he was about four foot tall okay yeah this was about it this was i can't remember exactly how long i might be wrong on the time but it was a while quite a while after i saw him the first time so many people talk about the stump they they think something's a stump and they and they I've heard this so much now Brian and I both where people yeah. see oh, I think I thought it was a stump but I, was, I didn't remember a stump being there these things like crouch down and and present themselves you know that's kind of another way that they used to hide um, which is just weird to me they're so stealthy in what they do I mean they're just sitting out right in the open but they appear to be a tree stump to some people oh so, yeah he was know. doing a good job of it too he was all tucked down in and he had his head down between his shoulders. And Owen, and he was looking over his shoulder at me. And like I said, he looked like he was in a ghillie suit. So I was thinking the way the behavior was, was a behavior of a person that didn't want to be looked at or, or was trying to, you know, just hoping you'd walk by them and not notice them. He almost succeeded. I almost didn't notice it. But then I know that wood so well. If I'd have been somewhere else, like in a strange woods, I probably wouldn't have noticed him. Or I would have wrote it off as being a stump or being a boulder or something and yeah. walked away. But I know that woods really well. I grew up in those woods. I've hunted those woods my whole life. I know them pretty well, you know, and somewhere in my brain registered, there's no stump over there. 
And, and that was the only reason why he really got caught that day because of my familiarity with that woods. Did he look more gorilla-like to you in the face or, or human-like in the face? Or what, could you, what would you describe it as? He looked, he looked very human in the face. He, his skin was very dark. Um, he looked like his skin tone was what you would see from an African from mm-hmm. Africa, not an African-American, but an African from Africa, mm-hmm. the skin tone. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying or yep. not. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we have quite a, uh, I, I go to Syracuse, New York quite a bit, and there's quite a large um, immigrant community there from Africa. And every, and, and th- that's where I, where I got that image from, was that their skin tone and his was very close. It's the best way I can describe it. I don't know how big he is now. That's been several years ago when this all happened. So he's probably quite a bit bigger uh, now than, you know, when I've seen him close up. I get all the reports, like I said, from the area. And last summer, we had kind of an explosion up here. Uh, a guy from the radio, the local radio station up here uh, had a sighting. And, of course, he, you know, he went on Facebook and he went on the radio and talked about it. So it became a big thing up here. It was in all the newspapers and, and uh, on the radio and stuff. And, of uh, since I run Seaway Valley, I was called to ask my opinion and, and that kind of thing. And I met with the witness and talked to him, and I found him very credible. And, in fact, it was it's funny. I don't know if you guys have had this happen or not, but when you talk to a witness, especially soon after it happened, they get a really emotional about oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, this guy almost cried talking to me. Mm-hmm. And he was just so thankful that he was talking to somebody that was willing to believe him, you know, and, and I yep. told him, I said, I, I really believe that you saw one, you know, from what you're telling me and just by the way you're acting, I, I have no doubt in my mind that, that you truly did see one. It was really weird because it was in the newspaper and then it went national. And I, and uh, I heard that the article was even read on coast to coast. So I started getting calls from geez all over the state after that. And I don't know if you guys are aware of, well, I'm sure you're aware of the Whitehall area of Vermont where there's been, an, that's been a big hot spot for years for Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a gentleman up there that uh, he helped write uh, Monsters of the North Woods. He's usually on all of the uh, documentaries when they talk about Whitehall. Um, he even called me and wanted to know what was going on up here. So that was really an interesting conversation having with him because he's been a, a huge Bigfoot researcher for most of my life. I, in fact, I went back on, um, on the History Channel and watched an old episode of uh, Monster Quest that he was on just to, just to get you know yeah. some background on the guy because I, I kind of remember, remembered him, but I couldn't remember what he looked like. So that was real, really, really interesting. Ghost Hunters, uh, TAPS, they um, had a crypto radio show for a little while uh, a few years ago. I don't think they're doing it anymore, but they... I was on there as a guest one time talking about Bigfoot in New York state. I didn't think much more of it. It was just, you know, I was on there uh, like a 15 minute segment that they had me on. Well, uh, last year I I go to several conventions a year and I was down in Baltimore, Maryland, gave a talk on Bigfoot in in, uh, Northern New York. The next day I was just walking around the convention floor and this, uh, these three young ladies came up to me and they asked me if I was, you know, from Seaway Valley. And I said, I was, and they said, well, we didn't get a chance to get to your uh, panel yesterday, but uh, we'd like to talk to you. I'm like, sure, go ahead. Well, they are from Bath, New York, which is down by the Finger Lakes. And a uh, very, very nice area. A lot of 
unexplored woods down there and uh, tons of state land and just really squatchy area. Mm-hmm. And they had told me that ghost hunters had been up there doing a uh, segment on a haunted cemetery that's just down the road from their farm. And in fact, they went with them to show them where the cemetery was and help them out. Well, while they were there, one of the guys walked out into the cornfield that had just been recently cut and found Bigfoot tracks in the cornfield. And uh, the guy from TAPS told her, well, I know a guy in New York State you should talk to and gave them my name. And I didn't even know that he even remembered me because, like I said, I only talked to him for a few minutes. I ended up taking two trips down there and we had real good results. Uh, we didn't have any sightings, but we got uh, when we did the uh, uh, calls, we got callbacks. Uh, we heard wood knocking. One of the uh, young ladies that went with us got the bejeepers scared out of her because one kind of came right up close and hit a tree not too far from her. Mm. And uh, we kind of her and I kind of had a Scooby Doo moment. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> she come running and tried to climb right up on my back. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about tracks, when you first saw that first Bigfoot and his head pop up, did you immediately associate that with the tracks you saw as a teenager um, when you were dealing with the turtle by the river there? Not at first. You know, I thought about it later. I mean, there was enough time had happened between those two events that it might have been a different Bigfoot. You know, I don't know what their lifespan is, but the tracks I found were probably in 1980 or 81, somewhere around in there. I graduated from high school in 82 and I know it was before I graduated because I, my senior year, I didn't, uh, I didn't run the trap line. I had too much other stuff going on and, and girls and everything else you're concerned about when, you're, you know, 18 years old and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you're, uh, just starting out your life. So I didn't have time for a whole lot of that. But, uh, so I know it was in, in that area, 80, 81, somewhere in that area when I saw those tracks and this happened, uh, mid nineties. Okay. So it was quite a, it was quite a uh, span of time in between them mm-hmm. may have been the same Bigfoot may have been a different one. I'm assuming that I got at least four in the area from the different size tracks that I've, I found over the years. There's some real big ones. There's some medium sized ones. There were some smaller ones, which I associated with the juvenile. And then this past year we found some real small ones. I'm guessing maybe they had another, another child within the last year or two. What other uh, things have you run into dealing with these, these guys out there where you're at? Any other encounters? Uh, well, after I saw the juvenile, about a week later, I had gone back there to go hunting again. It was during regular rifle season. It was pouring rain. I'm kind of a wimp. I don't like being wet. So I backed my truck into a spot where I usually park it, and I was just sitting in the truck watching the field which is not technically legal, but I was on my own land and I wasn't planning on shooting anything from my truck. I was just sitting there keeping dry, basically. About uh, two or 300 yards right out in front of me, there was a little gap in the trees. There'd been a big tree there and I cut it down the year before for firewood. It was an old dead tree. And so it left a little gap in, in the fence line there. Either Big Mama or Big Papa stepped into that gap and looked right at my truck. Mm. Um it was only for a few seconds. I uh, stood there and looked at me, then then kind of played peekaboo around the tree a couple of times. I think it was trying to figure out whether there was somebody with the truck or the truck was just there. Mm-hmm. And then it uh, then it did the peekaboo thing one more time, and then was gone. I didn't see it again. I thought about later 
was that a mistake it made or was it on purpose? Was it letting me know, hey, you know, I'm here and I'm the I'm the big cheese kind of thing. So I don't know. It could have been a reward to me because I was that close to its kid and didn't hurt it. You know, kind of like, okay, you know, you're a good little foot. We're going to leave you alone or that kind of thing. So I'm not sure what its what's, what its intentions were that day. I, I'm sure that they don't do much without intention. They're very intelligent. This is a good story I want to tell you. The year after I had, I'm not telling you things in chronological order, so don't hold me to it. Nope. I was uh, back there during regular season hunting, and I, I spent a lot of time in the woods that particular year. I'm a home health aide. That's what I do it for a living. And my my uh, schedule varies. Sometimes I'm I'm working till late, and sometimes I get off fairly early in the afternoon. Well, this uh, particular year, I most of my clients were early in the morning, so I was getting done work about oh, two o'clock in the afternoon most days. So what I had been doing was I've been going right from work right to the woods, and I I'd spent quite a t- bit of time in the woods that fall. And um, there was these three deer, and I kind of referred to them as the three stooges because they were always together and they always came out in the field at the same time and they always stayed together and uh you could almost set your clock by them that's how you know consistent these three deer were so i was up in the tree stand and i'm watching the field and out come the three stooges and they're out there in the field walking around and all of a sudden the older of the of the three alerted and she had her ears up and she was pawing the ground and she was blowing which is a sound deer make to warn other deer that something's not right and uh, she kept staring in the same spot so i started looking where she was looking thinking maybe there's a buck over there or possibly another hunter coming down the other side so i'm watching the same spot she is and all of a sudden she just took off that she they just boogied they were gone well as soon as they took off from the spot where she was watching came a very aggressive howl and i don't know if either of you two have ever heard one or not but it is the weirdest creepiest sound that you will ever hear in your whole life i mean the air just vibrates when one of them does that and he was upset about something and he was just going off i'm i'm in the tree stand just frozen not knowing really what to do now in hindsight i should have grabbed my phone and brought it out and tried to record it but you don't always think of that when the event is happening you know you look back what i should have did you know and you you second guess yourself i guess but anyways he did it and it seemed like it went on forever this howl and then it stopped and as soon as it stopped probably every coyote for 20 miles started howling and then he did it again and it was just like somebody had turned the volume off on the world all the coyotes stopped howling there was just dead dead silence uh i can compare it to the old happy days episode where fonzie goes camping and he's laying there in his sleeping bag trying to sleep and the raccoons and the owls and everything else are making noise and he just sets up in his sleeping bag and he goes cool it and everything quit <laughs> yep i remember and that he tried to, to, to grins to himself and said let's see tarzan do that and he laid back up <laughs> well that was exactly that's the only thing i can compare it to 
you know, that you, you would get the idea of what I'm saying. It was just dead silence. And discretion being the better part of valor, I got down out of the tree stand and went home. <laughs> Don't blame me. I, I good idea, yeah. Probably the best thing to do because he was mad. Yep. Uh, and believe me, I had quite a long walk back to where I parked my truck and my eyes were mostly behind me all the way back to my truck. Yeah. I mean, I was carrying a 30 out six, but I don't know. That probably would have just pissed him off if I'd have shot him with it, probably. But um, I was expecting any moment to see him come charging out of that brush. I really was, because that's how scared he made me. And I've been hunting since I was in my early teens. As, as, as before, I actually hunted before it was even legal for me to hunt. I went back with my grandfather. I didn't carry a weapon, but I went with him. But ever since I've been you know, old enough to hunt and old enough to carry my own gun. I've been in the woods. So, you know, that's the only time in all those years, I'm 58 years old now. That's the only time in all of that, my life that I was ever afraid in the woods. Cause most things in the woods, I'm not afraid of. You were probably pissing him off because he probably wanted to grab those deer, but knew you were in that stand looking at the deer, didn't want to expose himself. Um, and probably just yeah, frustrated but- the hell out of him because he couldn't do what he wanted to do. So, mm-hmm. screaming yep. and yelling maybe got you out of there, which it sounds like it did. <laughs> and you had yeah. mentioned yeah. Um, you had mentioned how people get um, choked up, you know, when when they're talking about their encounters earlier. We we get that a lot when we talk to folks. Um, oh yeah, we get that. Yeah, they have to take a minute, take a breath, whatever they got to do. Um, so it's understandable. Yeah. How many uh, people have you have you talked to, or how many witnesses, Dean, do you think you've talked to since you've been doing this? Oh boy, it's hard to give you an exact number, but I would say. At least a hundred, yeah. Wow. At least I bought a uh, a Jeep Liberty, and you know how people get those um, window stickers, you know, to say "Gone fishing" or "Gone hunting" or whatever. I I had one printed up that said "Gone squatting." Yeah, awesome. And I and I put it on my Jeep. Well, that was probably one of the best research tools I ever bought in my life. Really, because I. I would be in a parking lot somewhere. I would pull into a Walmart. I'd pull into a Lowe's. I'd pull into a grocery store parking lot. And the next thing you know, somebody's coming up and wants to talk to me. Hmm. Hey, I saw your sticker. Is that just there for fun? Or are you serious? I say, no, I'm serious. And I'd introduce myself, tell them I was with Seaway Valley. And then they would proceed to tell me their Bigfoot story. And it almost cool. always started out as, don't think I'm crazy <laughs> or I'm not lying to you, but this is what happened. And that's almost always how they start out telling you the story. But I've heard some very, very interesting stories over the years, just from ordinary, you know, people that probably never told anybody their story, or if they did, maybe only a couple people, mm-hmm. because they were afraid of the ridicule that comes with having a Bigfoot story or having a Bigfoot sighting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we get yeah. that a lot. It's just the same way, you know, I'm sure with people that, that see flying saucers or or, you know, or see a ghost, they, they, they get that ridicule from people when they probably did see what they, they're saying that they saw. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah. that won't talk about it. Um, you know, we, we see more and more reports pop up every day through social media, talking to different people, talking to people like you. And I keep thinking to myself, you know, these are becoming more and more um popular if you want to say are popping up more and more and more how many people out there are seeing something that they're not talking about you know oh i'm sure it's, how many people take I this mean, to I, their I, grave I, I, and say nothing about this because they don't want to think people think they're crazy 
you know, I, I get these random people come up to me, but I, I always think to myself, for everyone that comes and talks to me, there's probably 10 more that won't say nothing, you know? Yep. So if 100 people come up and talk to you, there's probably 1,000 people out there that, that won't tell you. Exactly. You know? been, wait, no, we're always looking for guests to come on the show. Brian, maybe we need to get some of those stickers and uh, put on our vehicles too, you know? You know, it, it, I couldn't believe how I have. I just yeah, bought a conversation. I haven't put one on it yet, but I'm thinking about getting another one yeah. and sticking on it because, I mean, I'd just be, you know, minding my own business, just going to the store or whatever, and boom. I was going to a client's house one day, and I went by this guy's house on the way that he lived in the development. And I went by this guy's house, and he's standing out in his yard. He's staring at me as I went by. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, I don't know that guy. I said, what the heck's he giving me the eyeball for? So I got to the person's house. I pulled in the driveway, and also I looked behind me, and this car pulls in behind me. And the guy gets out of the car. I'm thinking, must be I did something to make him mad, or must be he thinks I'm somebody else or whatever, you know, because I had no idea why this guy took it upon himself to follow me. And he goes, hi. He goes, uh, I've seen your Jeep around town, and I've been meaning to talk to you. He says, uh, do you believe in Bigfoot? And I'm like, well, yeah, I do. I run a research organization. He goes, well, don't think I'm crazy, but. And then he starts telling me a Bigfoot story. You know, and he goes, I've been wanting to talk to you. I've been wanting to talk to you. I was wearing one of my, my Bigfoot uh, sweatshirts at Burger King. I was getting my getting my drink from the fountain. Some guy walks over to me. I saw your sweatshirt. You know they're real, don't you? <laughs> and then he starts telling me his Bigfoot story. Yeah. You know? So, uh, like I said, there's got there's got to be tons and tons of people that just don't say anything. Right. Or oh, if they yeah. do, it's like a person. They'll, they'll talk to a stranger, but they won't tell anybody else. You know, Like, they'll come right. up to me and tell me their story, but they wouldn't probably wouldn't tell their kids or their wife or anybody yeah you know what, what happened this is just so yeah. so hard for for me to grasp sometimes it's like so many people are seeing these things they're out there we have evidence we have foot castings in my opinion there's enough evidence to say hey these things are real science won't do it without without a skeleton or, or a body whatever i mean these things are masters of of their environment obviously like the stump uh, thing where we were talking about how they just can look like a stump out of the middle of nowhere, etc. Mm -hmm. Crawling around low, whatever you want to have it. Um, but but why is it, Dean? Do you think that these things haven't been, you know, proven to science or proven to the world that they they exist? What what's going on here? To be honest with you, I think the government knows. I I've heard enough stories. I've talked to some. Uh, I've talked to some soldiers from Fort Drum. I've got one guy that's on my research team that was uh, a veteran. He's been having encounters with Bigfoot since he was six years old. There was a family that lived in the woods behind where he grew up. And he said when he was a little boy, he played with a baby young Bigfoot would come in the backyard and play with him when the adults weren't around. And his parents always thought he had an imaginary friend. But he goes, nope, he was real. It was a little girl Bigfoot. And he said he used to play with her told me he uh her name was luna and he says he doesn't know how he knows her name was luna but her name was luna and and he that's what he always called her and uh he said she would steal his toys out of his backyard and his mother would yell at him what do you do with his toys and he'd always just say to her oh luna must be luna must have borrowed them and she'd go yeah right you know that's where the imaginary friend came and he, she thought he was blaming stuff on his imaginary friend so he wouldn't get in trouble he said, but she'd bring them back, or I'd have to go out in the woods and get them, but she always left them in the same spot so I could find them. And uh, 
he told me to this day, sometimes when he goes home, he sees her. Oh, wow. You know, she, he's grown up now, but she'll, she'll come to the edge of the woods and wave to him or, or wow. let him move there. Uh, he was, he was there for the Kandahar incident. I don't know if you guys are aware of that or not. It's a fairly well-known thing in Bigfoot research. Uh, no, over what they found a Bigfoot over in uh, Kandahar. You're saying? Yeah, yeah. He was the, he was there, and he said he saw the body. They killed it, and he he was there oh, when the, yeah. when the, the one that came out of the cave. Yeah, they thought it was a uh, Al Qaeda were in this cave, and the, and uh, they sent a couple of different squads in, and some of the some of the soldiers got killed, mm-hmm. and yeah, they I, finally I they that. finally shot it. Well, he said it was huge. He says, and they uh, came in, bagged it, and took it out, and told everybody you didn't see nothing. The mm-hmm. U.S. government did this, supposedly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one guy. He's not on my research team, but he's uh, he's kind of an independent Bigfoot researcher in the area. And him and I compare notes every once in a while. And he um, is an ex-correctional officer. You guys probably heard about the breakout of Danamora a few years back where it was an inside job. The woman helped the guys get out, and they were on. They were at large for probably about two weeks before they, they well, they shot and killed the one guy, and the other guy got shot, but he survived. But anyway, he said that he is privy to the uh, frequencies that the uh, law enforcement use up here, not the normal ones that go across the scanner, but because of his, you know, affiliation with corrections, he was able to listen in on what was going on. And he said that uh, he recognized this one guy's voice. It was a, a friend of his that he knew from the time he was a corrections officer who was out in the woods looking for them, came on the, on the um, radio and said, I need backup here right now. I've got two subjects coming towards me, and they're not responding to commands. And he said there was silence for a little while. And then the next time he came on, he was very frantic, yelling, they're coming right at us. They're not responding to commands. And he heard gunfire. And he says, then a voice came on and said, everybody on the radio, shut up. So he said he saw him later and he said, what was going on? It wasn't the guys because they weren't caught till like a week later. And he says, well, I'll tell you this. He says, because I know that you're into this. He goes, we killed two Bigfoot. We thought wow. they were the guys and we shot them. And he goes, well, what happened? He goes, a helicopter from Fort Drum came in and took him away. Yeah. I mean, I can't corroborate any of this stuff. This right. was just the story that was told me. Yeah. Right. You know, by, and, and I, tr- I trust the guy. He's, I've never really caught him in any lies with me. That's an awful I lot to, to try and make up. Why would you make it up anyway and risk right. getting yourself in trouble? Or, right. you know. Even if you're in the yeah. military, that kind of thing. Why would you make something like that up? You know, you're going to be yeah, exactly. big shit if you get caught doing that. Either way. I was um, uh, at a pizza restaurant in Watertown, New York. This was several years ago. And uh, there was a group of Fort Drum soldiers in there having their, their dinner. And I was setting a couple of booths away from them. And I, once again, had a Bigfoot sweatshirt on. And uh, the one guy said something to me about my sweatshirt. Oh, I like your sweatshirt. You know, that's pretty cool or something like that. And I was like, oh, thanks. So him and I got chit-chatting back and forth, and we were talking about Bigfoot. And there was this young guy sitting there, and he was kind of listening, not saying nothing. And he goes, oh, that's a bunch of bullshit, finally, he says. (laughs) And the other soldiers at the table just looked at him, and they go, 
wait till you're at the post a little longer. <laughs> and I looked out, I go, really? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, we, we see them quite often. He goes, but we're not allowed to say much. He goes, but we see them. I mean, Fort Drum is huge, you know, and it's mostly woods. You know, there's the air base where they, you know, they land everything, and there's the training grounds, but most of it's surrounded by acres and acres and acres of just raw wilderness. So then the young guy says after he said they said that to him, he says, well, we, we'd see them more often, or, or we, we'd catch them if they, if they were there. And he goes, you know how good those things are in the woods? <laughs> he says, they're better than we are. And he goes, and I'm pretty damn good. And he goes, maybe I'll take you next time, he says, when we do the Stalfa recon. And he goes, what's that? He goes, well, we go up to Plattsburgh. Plattsburgh's probably a good 200 miles from Fort Drum, maybe. Uh, might be off a little bit. But he goes, we go up there and drop off a team, and their job is is to make it back to Fort Drum without being seen. Cool. And he says, we've never been caught yet. Wow. He said, no, he said, if we can do it, don't you think those Bigfoot can – can stay hid. Yeah. He goes, and they're a hundred times better woods people than we are. And they're oh, yeah. moving at nighttime. I'm sure, you know, these things move at nighttime. Well, see, I think what happened up here is we're right on the border of the Adirondack mountains, like I said, and, and there was always occasionally a sighting up there that got reported from the Adirondacks. Not very often, but once in a while you'd hear one. Well, Oh, probably about 20 years ago, they opened up a lot of the Adirondacks to uh, logging that hadn't been uh, allowed before. Um, it was a big deal up here because a lot of hunting camps got closed down. You know, the government went to court and revoked a bunch of different hunting camps leases on the land so they could sell the timber off it. We, uh, in fact, two of our Congress people lost their jobs over it because they didn't support the, the hunters. You know, they went along with, the, with, with closing the land down for the, you know, so they could do the logging and they got voted out. It was a big deal up here when it happened. So I think what happened was, is the Bigfoot were trying to find a different place because the woods was getting too crowded. So I think they started migrating north up to our area. When I was a kid, this was all dairy farms. I mean, and people farmed the heck out of it, right to the edge of the road to whatever was farmed. You know, they would even cut the grass on the side of the road to make hay. But then... Over the years, all these small farmers started going out of business. Either their kids didn't want to farm and, you know, and moved away or, uh, you know, they just couldn't make it financially. So they, 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 you know, sold their farms. And a lot of times they sell their farms to people that didn't want to farm. They just wanted the house because they could pick up the houses cheap as retirement places or just as second houses. So the land went back. To the wild the woods expanded the brush expanded you know the land was not being utilized like it used to be so it became very good sasquatch habitat right. and the deer started coming back when i was a kid you were lucky if you ever saw a deer now you can't drive down the road without keeping your eyes open for one you know because they'll run out on the road hundreds and hundreds of, of deer car accidents up here every year the deer population just exploded well with most uh, apex predators, the best way to find them is to follow the food. And if there's an abundance of deer up here, the Bigfoot are going to take advantage of that. They're going to they're going to be following the herd of deer. If, the, if this place is full of deer, they're going to be around. I shot a buck out of my tree stand, the same tree stand I was in 
And I know for a fact the deer was dead. I walked over. I had it by the antlers. I was looking at it. And the tongue was hanging out. It was a dead deer. And I left it there to go get my truck to come back to load it. And when I got back, the deer was gone. There wasn't a drag mark. There wasn't nothing. It was just gone. It was not in the spot, but I left it. So I wasn't thinking Bigfoot right away. I'm not one of those people that automatically is Bigfoot, you know. Um, the leaves were at Russell. Oh, that's Bigfoot. You know, I'm not like that. I mean, I, I have to see it or have some kind of indication that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe a bunch of coyotes grabbed it and dragged it away. But I'm looking and I'm not seeing any drag marks. So it was just about dusk. I took my flashlight out, started shining my flashlight around. And there's a drainage ditch that goes between the hay field and the woods. And there the deer was stuffed down in the drainage ditch. The only reason why I even saw it was one leg was sticking up a little bit. I went over there and dragged it out of the ditch. Still not thinking Bigfoot. I'm still thinking, you know, the most obvious thing, it was, it was a coyote or maybe a bear. But uh, we don't have a lot of bear there, so I'm thinking more coyote. So I dragged the deer up into the field, and I started field dressing it. I pulled my truck around, shined the headlights on it, and I started field dressing the deer. Well, just off into the brush, into the woods where I couldn't see it, I started hearing, like that. I'm like, holy crap. I said, I guess I know who tried to take my deer. So I uh, finished, finished field dressing it as quick as I could. And I grabbed my flashlight and I shined it over in the area where I was hearing the huffing. And I didn't see it that day, but it walked away once the light came near it. And you could hear it was on two feet. It wasn't, it wasn't running on four legs. Something walked away on two feet. So wow. I'm thinking that's what happened. It yeah. picked my deer up. Maybe I came back a little too quick and it, you know, it stashed the deer down there. So I'll come back and get it after he leaves. Well, logic will tell you that deer didn't just pop back up alive and run and no. jump in that drainage ditch. And a bear, no, a bear would have drug it off. So you would have seen drag yep. marks. So something had to have picked it up. Oh, yeah. You can't yeah. deny and, that uh, kind of stuff. You know, you just can't deny it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a theory. I probably have, I, I, like I said, I hunt a lot. And at least once a year, I'll have somebody tell me a story where they know they shot, they know they hit the deer, but then they couldn't find it. I'm, I've got a theory that during hunting season, when a Bigfoot is in the woods and hears a shot, it doesn't run away from it. It goes towards it. And it's hoping it can get to the deer before the hunter does because it's an easy meal for them. They don't have to yeah. chase it down. They don't have to, they don't have to kill it. If they sense. find the deer... It's wounded, or they find one that's already dead, they'll just pick it up and walk away with it. And that's why these people are saying, I know I hit it dead square. You know, it, it couldn't have gone very far, but when I got there, it wasn't there. I couldn't find it. You know, I think I, that's my theory. I might be wrong, but that's my theory. I think that they come to the shot, they don't walk away from it. Yeah, I believe it. Right. Easy meal. Yeah. You shoot, yeah. I'll eat. Right. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. One guy told me that actually he was one of the guys that you know don't think I'm crazy, but he said uh, he shot a deer, gutted it, put it in the back of his truck, walked about fifty yards away from his truck to take a dump, <laughs> and he turned around just in time to see a bigfoot come over, scoop the deer out of the back of his truck, throw it over his shoulder, and walk away with it. Jeez. Wow. 
he said, what can I do? I, he said, he literally caught me with my pants down. <laughs> yeah, he knew what was going on there. He's like, oh, perfect. Time. Yeah. I'm ready to do. <laughs> well, Dean, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us, man, telling us all oh, this no good problem, stuff. No yeah, this was, uh, it's been fun. That was uh, yeah, some exciting fun. stories. Yeah. Yep. If you have any uh, witnesses out there you've sure. spoken to that, that maybe you want to pass along to get on our show, we'd love to hear their stories too. So feel free to let I'll them talk to Adam. Sure. Adam maybe Adam, another show too, asked me, and I don't know whatever happened. I haven't talked to Adam for a few months, but uh, I'll, I'll ask Adam about it. He's the fellow that I was telling you about that was had the the little girl Bigfoot as a friend. Yeah, maybe I'd love to talk oh, to yeah, that guy. I'd love to talk to that guy. Are you kidding me? Yeah, we'd love I, to get I, him I'll on. ask him. I haven't seen him lately, but I'll ask him. And see yeah, we'd appreciate that big yeah, time. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we'd yeah. owe you for that He's one. He's a real sure. nice gentleman. Real, very nice so, gentleman. Awesome. So one more time for all the listeners, how do they? How can they get a hold of you and your uh, your organization there again? Seaway Bigfoot Research. Um, we're on Facebook. You can get us on, you can contact us on Facebook. Uh, if you want to email us, we'll be more than happy to talk to you. Uh, if we can help, we will. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, always interested in hearing what's going on out there, and we we want to hear the stories. We, we really do, and uh, mm-hmm. we we love love talking to to other witnesses. Well, if you see something else out there, be sure to get a hold of us, and uh, maybe yeah, we can talk again about about uh, some of this good stuff you got. Oh, going I, on I got there. a ton more stories. Right. <laughs> we'll definitely get in touch well, then, then for we'll sure. We'll definitely talk to you again. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, you take care, Dean. All right, Dean. Thanks. See you, buddy. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye. Very interesting stuff from uh, Dean there and some cool encounters and stories going uh, on. Yeah, those are cool. Especially that one about the uh, the guy playing with it when he was a kid. Yeah, we got to get a hold of that guy. Hopefully he can connect us. I bet Man, that guy's awesome. got some stories yep. like you wouldn't believe. And I'm sure our audience listening to this now would love to hear those stories from this guy playing with a juvenile oh, yeah. Bigfoot. Things yep. that he must, how he must perceive life in general. I could talk to him just about that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> After what he's been through. Let's, let's hope to get this guy on too. So uh, We're going to try. We're going to try our darndest. Keep bringing uh, good content. Thanks everyone again for the listens. Yes, we appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. Get a hold of us on uh, Facebook, Twitter. Now we're on Reddit, right, Brian? Now we're on Reddit. Cryptid Creatures 1. Uh, is our regular profile and then we have a community that is cryptid underscore creatures join us on there too yeah and join our group on facebook help it grow uh if you've had an encounter and would love to tell us about it and you can always email us please do info at cryptidcreatures.co thanks again brian for another awesome episode my friend again man always fun always fun all right man until next time see ya